This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Josh Davis received his bachelor's degree from Brown University and his doctorate from Columbia. He's a coach at and former director of research for the Neuro Leadership Institute, that's NLI, which is a global institute dedicated to synthesizing scientific research and guiding its use in the fields of business and leadership. He's written a wonderful book that captures this wisdom. It's called Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and Get Your Most Important Work Done. Josh and I talk about what research in the fields of neuroscience and psychology have to teach us about, well, the things we focus on in this conversation are how to benefit from daydreaming and from letting your mind wander to become more effective and productive with more of your life available for life beyond work. There's that and more. So get set now to listen and learn from Josh Davis. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I love the topic of, uh, of your show. So, Josh, as I understand it, you come from the field of neurolinguistics. So first, can you just tell us what that field is? Because not everyone listening knows it. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I, have, uh, I have some background, some knowledge in that field. It's actually not the, the field in which I, I did my doctoral work. That would be uh, um, an area called social cognitive neuroscience. But um, the, the work, the sort of the, what I can bring to it is um, uh, we've got, there, there's a lot of information out there about how uh, the ways that we, um, uh, sort of the, the social context that we put ourselves in, the ways that we talk to each other, the ways that we use language, the ways that we talk to ourselves, um, can really influence uh, actual brain function, can influence uh, the emotions that we have, can influence um, you know, whether we're beating ourselves up or whether we're working with ourselves most effectively. There's a lot of flexibility once you start to, to understand how to, how to regulate your emotions, how to regulate your mental energy. There's a lot of flexibility we have that comes from um, research in neurolinguistics, research in um, other branches of psychology, other branches of, of neuroscience. Okay, so neuro. Is that enough of a well, so neurolinguistics is is really the study of the connection between brain and language. Is that right? It is. Yeah. So neurolinguistics is looking at at uh, what's going on in the brain uh, when we're processing language, when we're communicating, or or simply understanding language. All right. So how did you get interested in using that science to understand how we can use our time more effectively? Well, what happened was, uh, you know, I I realized at one point that uh, we can be really effective for short periods of time. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've had these, these 
moments where you have a couple hours where you figure out exactly what the lineup is going to be for the show or, you know, uh, for the whole, you know, fall or, you know, whatever, a big project. And, and you can sort it out. You can just get everything done that you need and, and make tremendous progress in, in a mm-hmm. short period of time. And then, and then I certainly know that I can have two or three days on end where I'm practically worthless. I'm just, you know, I'm getting, getting very little done that actually matters. Is, is today one of those days, Josh? I hope not. No, today, <laughs> no, no, of course, just, just by being here on the show with you, I'm, uh, I'm doing a lot uh, that I think is valuable. Ah, all right, so I, I need to invite more people on the show to have that impact. Exactly, that's a <laughs> great way to help with productivity. All right, well, so, you know. so you got those concentrated bursts of like, ah, the world seems right and I figured it out. Exactly, um, exactly, and so these, these short periods of time, and, uh, you know, so, so what I turned... What I turned my mind to was, you know, if it can happen sometimes, hmm. is there something we can learn about how to set up those periods of effectiveness, of really intense effectiveness, peak effectiveness, uh, at will or more often? Mm-hmm. And that's when I turned to the research, the psychology and neuroscience research, to see what I could find about how to set up those conditions. Um, and then, you know, the, the biggest picture take-home was that many of the same things that help set up those conditions also are the things that create more work-life balance. So that's, you know, that, uh, I think that's, that's the biggest picture take-home. But it really, working with how a human being works, aiming to set up brief periods of peak effectiveness is going to help us actually get more done that actually matters, get to the important stuff, and, and not be working all the time. All right, well... Can you give us a brief overview of what you discovered and how it is uh, portrayed in your wonderful new book, Two Awesome Hours? Oh, yes, definitely. It's, um, uh, some of the things that we can do are, for example, to recognize that most of the day uh, we're actually on autopilot. Um, we are, mm-hmm. you know, we're... Right now, for example, we're in conversation mode. There's a lot of things that we're conscious of. I'm deciding how to answer your questions. But for the most part, I'm in conversation mode. I'm not wondering about how to spend my time, and, and I'm not aware of a lot of the things in the background, uh, other things I need to get to. Once we hang up the phone call, though, all of a sudden, the autopilot ends. Um, you know, Once you get to work after your commute, the autopilot ends. Once you walk out of a meeting, the autopilot ends. Once you stop checking email, the autopilot ends. So those... In those, in those brief moments, and we get them just a handful of times throughout the day, right before a task, right after one ends, or right when we've been interrupted, we get a chance to actually think much more deeply. We become more conscious. When we get to a crossroads, all of a sudden autopilot can't handle things anymore. We actually bring more conscious resources online in those moments. We're more self-aware. It can be very unpleasant. It can feel like we're not being productive because we're more aware of time passing. Hmm. And it's tempting to just go for whatever is right in front of us. But those moments are moments, I call them decision points. They're Mm -hmm. moments to really savor, to just step back, recognize that you've got a golden moment in the day. To take a few minutes, doesn't need to be more than a few minutes, until you remember what's actually important. And then go ahead and decide what task to get working on because... We waste time when we get started on the wrong task. You start checking emails, it's an hour and a half, you know. But, but, when we, but we don't waste time in those moments when we feel like we're wasting time just because we haven't decided yet. So it's recognizing when those come and taking advantage of them is, 
I think, the first step, and that paves the way for I, all of the other So can you I give found. an example of how that might actually occur or how, it, how you've done it, like today at one point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, literally 20 minutes ago, I had just finished uh, uh, working on something. I had sent something off, and I had 20 minutes to go before our call. And I thought, oh, I've got 20 minutes. How do I want to use this? I've, you know, I've got some time. How do I want to use it? I like that question. Right, right. I'm, and I'll be tired later. Mm. And but I, but I didn't just jump in and look for what would take 20 minutes or those kinds of things. I okay. took a moment because I've learned to do this now. And I said, okay, wait a second. This is a decision point. And I, I stepped back literally because that can help to give you more perspective. You mean you actually took a step in, in the I, rear direction? I literally got up from the desk and stepped back away from it. Okay. Um, and I let myself stare out the window for a minute until I became more aware of the mental energy I have right now. It's towards the end of the day. I've been doing a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and aware of the importance of showing up for this, for, for this interview in a way that I really want to, to be able to share with people something useful and recognize that actually it's going to be a better use of my time to take a break, have a little coffee, sit down, let my mind wander, and be ready for this call, the work that I would have done in those 20 minutes would have been very unproductive work because I wasn't in a good place to be working well. Mm -hmm. I'll do that work much more quickly and effectively by saving it for tomorrow. And after our call, I may go and do something relatively unimportant because I'll be kind of spent. It'll be the end of the day. But so I, Mm -hmm. I had a chance to think about that and end up showing up more effectively for the right for the right work. So a decision point is really, it's an opportunity for you to reflect on what you should be focusing uh, your attention on. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And I do think that it's, we all can be aware of what actually matters, what's important. It's not, it doesn't require a lot of deep soul searching. Right. For someone like me, you know, if you ask me when I'm on vacation, what matters about your work? Well, I should be writing stuff and and I should be speaking, public speaking, some kind or another. Mm-hmm. Right? And if it's not one of those two things, if it's not really contributing to one of those two things, it's not as important, quite honestly. So, you know, for, I, for, for almost any job, we could figure it out fairly easily. But it's remembering. It's having a way to actually remember at the moments that matter to do the important thing and not just the urgent thing. That's the key. Right, because otherwise you're... Well, you're wasting your attention on things that aren't important, and that we know to be a fundamental principle in affecting meaningful integration of work and, and the rest of life, mm-hmm. choosing, yeah. choosing to focus your attention on what matters. Uh, and so, so, so identifying these points where you step back, quite literally in your case, uh, and, and actually think about, all right, what's going to be the best use of my time now? That's going to make a big difference in your making intelligent choices about what to invest your attention on. Mm-hmm. And stepping back, by the way, this is one of those things that came from the research. Um, you know, I learned about the idea of priming something called psychological distance, um, that uh, uh, when we think of something as being farther away, uh, when we actually see, uh, when we have an expansive view, um, when you think of something being far off in time, that makes you more likely to be thinking big picture. Um, to be thinking more abstractly, and right. that's so very th- useful for this kind of thinking. Uh, so it actually primes that way of thinking. 
Wait, so so that's the benefit of stepping back from from your desk or stepping towards that's a window right. where you have a, like a broader vista, a broader horizon. Yeah, so there's the benefit of exactly the benefit of doing that, and actually stepping towards the window is also has an additional piece of research that motivates that. Yeah, what's that? Um, so this has to do with the value of mind wandering. Now, this one is a little bit counterintuitive for a lot of people. Uh, you know, you never see the report card that says, you know, Joey's great in class, but he should daydream more. Hmm. But could you but, repeat that? I wasn't listening. I, I, my mind was no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh. All right. So there's a, talk to us about the benefits of, of wandering minds. So some of the things that happen when we let our minds wander, um, which don't happen when we don't let them wander, by the way, or not nearly as much. Some of the things that happen are there's something called creative incubation. So if you've been working on something that needs some creative thinking, who am I going to put on this team? How am I going to map out this chapter of a book or whatever the creative project is? Um, If you then let your mind wander, even if it's just for a few minutes, and then come back to it, you're more likely to have creative solutions and more of them more solutions that are creative than if you just spent just as much time working on the problem. So actually, you're, you're, you're better off in that context having the time spent wandering rather than working on it. It doesn't just make you more creative in general, but it makes you more creative about those things you were already puzzling over. Hmm. So that's one. A second thing is you're probably familiar with the famous marshmallow test, the idea of delay of gratification. I am, but our listeners might not be, so a very brief recap of uh, what the meaning of uh, that research. Yes, yeah, so, and there's a great book out by the author of The Marshmallow Test, Walter Michel. It's called The Marshmallow Test. Um, the idea is this. You take some four-year-olds and you tell them, you can have this marshmallow right now, but if you wait until I come back, and the kids don't know how long that is. So, you know, I mean, to a four-year-old, just, it can be an eternity. Right? If you wait until you, I come back, then you can have this other treat that they had previously determined that the kid preferred over the marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, some of the kids actually wait the whole time, which turns out to be 15 minutes. Some don't, and, you know, and there's variations in how long they wait. The ability to wait, the ability to delay gratification predicts things years later, yep. like SAT scores mm-hmm. and college success and marital success and job success and likelihood to end up in, you know, having trouble with the law and all kinds of things. It's not that there's something magical about these kids, though. It's not that, that they're just, you know, gifted in some way. It's that the kids are doing something different. Um, and what the kids are doing is, is reframing the challenge in front of them. They're, you know, thinking of it as they're, they're really thinking about the opportunity to get the thing down the line instead of and they're not spending time thinking about how tasty the marshmallow would be. Uh, or maybe they're thinking about it as not a marshmallow, but just a puffy cloud. You know, so so, so, uh, so Michelle interviews the kids. Mm-hmm. And what, what daydreaming allows us to do is to reframe what's going on. In the background, we tend to find new ways of thinking about what are challenges we face so that we're more likely to hold out for something better in the future. Ah, so a wandering mind helps you to delay gratification because it opens you up to thinking about alternatives? Exactly. Garrison, uh, calling from Texas. Welcome to the show, Garrison. How can we help you? Hey, uh, thanks for uh, letting me speak for a moment. Um, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit um, with a question and coming back from some background here talking about uh, brain activity as it relates to, I guess, kind of linguistics and uh, the workplace environment and all the distractions and 
understanding when you're in the zone, you know, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that time of perfect efficiency, and how social media and all these distractions play into it. I mean, I have uh, friends and uh, colleagues, and you know, you're constantly distracted by what could be uh, considered some alternate form of mm-hmm. linguistics through social media. And this is just a autopilot how do you get out of it uh, what's the brain doing kind of during these times great question Garrison thank you for that so Josh uh, tell us what, what are your thoughts about uh, that question how social media affects uh, neurolinguistic functioning and our ability to focus on the things that matter yeah you know it's it's right on target the hardest thing for us to ignore when it comes to different sounds in the background for example I'll just start with sounds is speech um, that uh, you know, so, so, you know, it's been shown that people for almost all kinds of work, uh, we're more effective in silence. And what's, what's most difficult for us to tune out um, is speech. And then, you know, more so than white noise or music or that sort of thing. Um, we're definitely, you know, designed to pick up on speech. But also there's another element in the social media piece. Uh, it is quite linguistic. The information is text-based usually. And so it's sentence-based, so whether or not we're hearing it, it's still, it's, it's information-rich, and it's also, um, it has a very strong social nature. So, so we are social creatures. There's an argument that uh, our brains have evolved in the ways they have, um, mm-hmm. with, in large part due to the need to track the social environment that we're in. There's a, a study showing that um, across species, the size of the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain most different in humans than in other animals, right up front behind the forehead, mm-hmm. that the size of that correlates with the size of the social network that an animal needs to track uh, across species. So, you know, that and other data suggests that this, you know, processing social information is very important to us. Social obligations, as everyone knows, are very hard to um, put out of mind um, they tend to be quite distracting, and social media is all about that. It's about, you know, am I getting back to this other person fast enough? You know, am I navigating this social relationship in the way that I need to? Hmm. Um, there's social, there's excitement because we're learning where we fit in the social order, and we're making friends, and we're making connections, and there's also social obligations involved. So it's the stuff that's designed maximally to grab our attention and you throw on top of that the fact that our attention systems in our brains are not designed to stay focused. Mm. They're designed to pick up on what's changing. Sure. They're designed to help us detect what's changing in the environment. So we need to stop fighting distractions, as you describe in uh, Strategy 3, correct? That's right. That's right. That's right. And Trying to just fight it and use willpower, it backfires. It just increases the likelihood you'll be thinking of exactly the things you're trying to fight and makes you more likely to go searching for it. We, we just have another uh, minute or so, I'm afraid, Josh, and we're going to have to have you back because this is so fascinating and so important. Uh, can you just give us a, a very brief recap of uh, the other key strategies that you describe in your book? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so one of them, as you just mentioned, stop fighting distractions. And uh, what you can do, it's, it's about what you can do instead. Um, you know, what in what ways you can have compassion for yourself so that you can work with your attention system. Another one is to leverage your mind-body connection, that uh, we're biological creatures, and there's quite a lot that we can do in terms of moderate exercise, Mm -hmm. food, 
um, al- uh, I mean, uh, alcohol, uh, coffee, um, water, that, that goes actually has quite a big impact on the ways that we think and feel, our concentration. And then finally, there's uh, making your workspace work for you. There's some things that anyone can do, regardless of how restricted your workspace is, that have to do with um, controlling when you have noise, controlling um, uh, the light that you have, controlling the clutter on your desk, understanding in what ways that's affecting you so that you can make some choices about it for those times that matter, recognizing Mm -hmm. that we don't need to be on all the time. And we can't be, but we can be on when we need to be on for short periods, and that's the focus. That's how to really take advantage of a human system. Mm-hmm. And and uh, your strategies, based on research, are uh, very helpful in helping people, well, to develop the skill to be able to do just that. Uh, so really appreciate your spending time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. For more information about Josh and his book, Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and Get the Most Important Work Done, you got to visit them online at twoawesomehours.com. So that's two, the number two, T-W-O, awesomehours.com. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Josh Davis. And now, let me pick up on one of the things that we were just talking about and to challenge you with uh, something you might do with it. Well, consider it an invitation to try this. Consciously choosing to let your mind wander. I know that sounds paradoxical, but think about it for a minute. Choosing to to daydream, to, to look out the window, to step back. What happens if you do that for just a few seconds? How does that shift what you see when you look out into the world and when you consider what is indeed most important to you? That pause. What does it do to your thinking? And does it indeed make you a little bit more clear and effective in choosing how to invest your attention, your most precious asset. What do you discover from doing this? I would love to hear the results of this experiment, should you try to do it yourself, maybe even right after you're done listening to me speak or some other time that might be convenient for you. Write to me at friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu or on Twitter at Stu Friedman. And if you've got an idea about someone you'd like for me to talk to on work and life, write to me with your suggestion. Again, it's friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. 
And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.